0: bruh (laughs) yeah bruh alright alright one more rip shot okay bazinga bazinga okay (laughs) from the studios of fractal recording this is the prophet first podcast it's not episode one it's not episode two it's not even three four five ten fifteen it's episode twenty nine bruh 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 Bruh. yeah bruh oh I'm gonna have to be with the brah. bruh Right It's like a musical instrument For you my friend Dude I come into the studio And I'm like What's up And this song Or there was a different song Playing by Rage Rage Against the Machine Yeah, Yeah And all of a sudden You start like Doing air drumming Yeah you did a twirl. I've never seen an air drummer twirl the stick in the air and hit two cymbals, foot kick to the bass, and you came back on the snare.
1: Bruh. It was incredible. Making me sound like a theater major. Dude. Well, welcome everyone to the Profit First
0: Podcast. I'm Chris Curran. I'm the founder of Fractal Recording. And I'm Mike McCallowitz, the author of Profit First, and you're listening to the Profit First Podcast, where you learn everything about running a business profitably.
1: That's right. Oh, right you, on the hang. Too. Yes, you love that. I love that.
0: You're do you play any instruments or guitar. No? You do I, play you know, I you know, I'm going to bring in my guitar. Do you have a drum pad? Um, I'll find something. Yeah. L- l- next we'll, we got to jam. Next week or a couple weeks from now. We'll jam,
1: we'll jam out. Yeah. So you can find this show on iTunes and Stitcher. Those are the two big podcasting platforms and also on our website profitfirstpodcast.com.
0: That's the place to go. So how you been, man? I've been well. I've been well. You know, um I've been gardening. Like gardening is like full. Wow! <laughs> Thanks for rolling your eyes. No, no. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Like gar- this is the time to start gardening now because we're in full season. So the last month and a half was setting up the garden. Now I got the broccoli growing. I got snow peas. I'm the melons are getting started. So I got watermelon coming my are your way. Blueberries, dude! I'm gonna be bringing fresh fresh blueberries uh, in the late summer, early fall wow. here. Yeah. Do you do you and your wife uh, do it together? The garden, (laughs) yeah, Mike. We have three children. You son of a (laughs) bitch,
1: son of a.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, um, yeah. Now she does because I set up like a little patio so you can kind of walk into the garden. It has a walkways now, as opposed to before, which that's hard manual labor installing walkways. Before it was like this kind of this muddy disgustingness. And I didn't even go in there much.
1: Is your business profitable enough for you to uh, hire a full-time gardener? <laughs>
0: no, no, it's not that profitable. Right?
1: How are you doing, you son of a I'm bitch? I'm good. You know, it's funny. We were going up on the retreat a few weeks ago and the night before we were going to make this little small road trip, I get out of my car. I just glance down. I see a screw in my front tire. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know why I just looked at the tire. When do you ever look at your tire tread? Never, never really. so but I just did and then so the next morning I had to go get all the four tires changed. but do you and your wife do that together? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hand me the wrench, honey. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, no. I need the... the, the whatever. Anyway, okay. like, it's like the universe wanted me to see that screw. It so had, I could did, change you the, the tires. Pull it out, or did you have to... No, it was sort of near the sidewall, so they had to replace the whole tire. I
0: needed tires Thank anyway. God you didn't drive on that. I know. And so. Was that on the Prius? Yeah. How's that doing ever since you had that face-to-face yeah. train wreck <laughs> crash? <gasps> no Dude, the... I hit a lamppost in Bootin. Really? I backed into... <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) What noise did it make? Oh my God. It went went like (laughs) in my face. Yeah. Wife is not happy. Oh, It was in her car, of course. Oh, Dude, uh, community reaching out. We get an email in from Australia. Um, I'm not going to show their name. It's in remote Australia. This business takes uh, photography of wild horses. Haven't been profitable since their inception five or six years ago. Um, The business, they read Profit First, audio edition available on audible turn the business around in two months profitable ever since they're coming on our show dude we're just trying to sync it up because they're in australia time which is like six days from now so <laughs> oh, it is very hard it's like you know what day is it? like it's like it's like a monday here it's like a sunday there it's almost it's christmas Wednesday. over there yeah, yeah exactly yeah no it really is like, like like there's whole seasons are off the holidays get flipped They call him Claus Santa. Oh. It's all crazy (laughs) down under. So I just wanted to give you that heads up. The community feedbacks come in. We want you listeners giving us your feedback too. If you implement the strategies on this show, you're going to start – Learn some crazy stuff. And what you're going to hear on the show is some cool stuff on the tech side of business we're going to talk about. And then you're about to hear from probably the most non-tech business you've ever heard of. Uh, and it's a fascinating story. That's awesome. Before we do that, quick sponsor shout out. Yes. Sponsors are Nextiva, are Sheets, are Fundera. Yes. Those three, we're going to talk about them later. We'll Amazing supporters. Later. Thank you for our... Our Thank you to our corporate sponsors. Our corporate partners. Partners, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Oops. They're, yeah oops, oops.
0: they're sponsors when they're writing a check to us. They're partners when we talk about them. His name is Eric Knight. And not, he's not related to Michael Knight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Kit. You remember that show? Yeah. <laughs> Michael. We he's are low ne- on gas. Yeah. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> stop talking to your watch. You look like an idiot. So Eric's never heard that joke before. All right. Uh, he is the CEO of Simple WAN. And now, if you're not an IT person, you'll probably think it's Simple WAN because it's spelled W-A-N, but WAN is a wide area network. You know how I know that? Because I used to be an IT guy, and I used to install firewalls, mouse Eric, when we get you online, you'll know, it's, I'll test you to see if you know what a mouse <laughs> is, uh, hubs, switches, and so forth. Simple WAN is a cloud-based firewall company designed for the IT folks and service providers of the world. And The Simple WAN product won the uh, product of the year In 2014 by TMC Magazine, one of your favorite magazines, (laughs) with no
2: further ado, Eric Knight. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? What's up, Eric? How you doing? You guys opened that can of worm. I have to say it. I actually have a Knight Rider replica.
0: Oh, now we're digging right into this. Wow. All All right. Here we go. Let me get the applause. Here we go. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) give Give me the serious stuff. There we go. So, Eric, the replica what year is that firebird
2: ours is an 80 mine is an 84 but it's rebuilt to look like an 81.
0: oh oh this is a drive this isn't a
2: matchbox car car. no this is a real one
0: now here's the second question is it a firebird or is it a trans am
2: it is a firebird
0: nice and do you have the moving lights of wah-wah
2: oh yeah the whole dash the whole inside it looks just like that car like it rolled off the lot
1: wow really That's awesome. Did you buy it, or did you make it?
2: No, I totally made it. It's something that was a project that took like 10 years, and it's still always a work in progress. But you'd think that would be fun to drive, but let me tell you, with that wheel, not fun. Oh, you do have that wheel, like the the airplane handles? Yes. Oh, my God. God. Wow.
0: Yeah, that was a ridiculous thing. Like, why would you make a handle like (laughs) that? Well, I guess because it drove itself, he did Michael Knight didn't have to worry about that. Right.
2: <laughs> those those hard right turns—they're not, not—they're not fun. Oh my <laughs> gosh!
0: Now, do you take it to car shows? You must.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That's it's it's part of the fun having it all light up, especially the ones at night. Yeah.
0: Do you do the get up? Do you dress up like with the leather jacket, the watch?
2: We're the... in Arizona. It's too hot for that kind of <laughs> stuff. Oh. Do you
0: do the feathered hair at least?
2: The the David Hasselhoff oh. fe- feathered hair? <laughs> no, can't do that. Can't work that.
1: Are you a fan of his singing? Oh, he sings. Yeah, my <laughs> God, he's
0: like the most popular singer in
1: Europe. In Europe,
2: oh, I, I know, but no, I, I'd rather not.
0: Okay, you're not a Hoff fan.
2: <laughs> no, not a Hoff fan.
0: All right, well, we basically killed the entire clock. It's, it's oh, been okay. a pleasure Thanks having for you on the show. No, all right. So, let, Eric, let's
2: dig into your business. By the way, are you the owner of Simple Man? I am the founder of it. So there's there's an nice. ownership group, but I'm the founder.
0: So, how do you go about founding a business in such a technical industry?
2: Um. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, I would have to say, a lot of money and uh, you know, a lot of talented people.
0: And, but did you have an IT background? What, what turned you on to this specifically?
2: This is actually my third startup that I've sold, so well, the, first, the other two I've sold. And uh, they were all technology companies, and each time you get better and you use that knowledge and information to start the next. So what was the problem you were
0: trying to solve when you developed SimpleWan?
2: I mean, it came down to uh, you know. If you ever talk with any of these small businesses, they just really lack the resources in this security space. And uh, if you ever look at uh, what was that old old TV uh, movie War Games? Oh yeah. That kind of stuff is happening today. And the big businesses, you hear about them in the news; they're getting hacked, and they're they're able to deal with it. But these smaller companies, they just have no no ability to defend themselves, and that's what we're trying to do. So. Ha- how does
0: it work? I mean, is this is this like a guy with a gun standing in front of your office and shooting anyone trying to hop on the net or I mean like how does a system like this work? And more I know or less. it's not that guy by the yeah, way. Yeah,
2: more or less. I mean, but they're 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 very smart. They're actual pieces of of equipment that actually sit on a customer's Location and they communicate back to a cloud or a, a network of other devices. And if one says, Hey, I'm being harassed or I'm being attacked over here, it tells everybody else that this guy's a threat and we all need to ignore him. We all need to get on board. And it, they're just smart and they're really, uh, they work as a team when stuff like that goes down.
0: But but setting these devices up, if I'm a small business owner, which I am, right? I got five employees. We have an internet connection. Everyone's hopping on the line here. If I'm setting up a firewall like this, it's it's an expensive task. I mean, how expensive is the computer infrastructure and stuff like this for a small business?
2: Well, I mean, right now, and it traditionally hasn't been very expensive, but what's going to happen, like if you've heard of something called PCI compliance, which is if you run a credit card, you have to meet these certain compliances. I think in the next 10 years, the most expensive part about starting a small business is going to be compliant on all these different levels on your computer stuff.
0: Is that, is that baked into Simple WAN? not trying to plug you too much, but is that, is that baked into the PCI compliance into the, your system?
2: Of course, yeah. We try to make it so easy to use to where it naturally makes everybody compliant just by the natural way of doing things. And we really try to, of course, simplify things, being simple, Ann. Um, just there's just so so much complication out there, and even the IT guys that are in these businesses, man, they're overworked. They've got too much going on. And what I tell everybody is, the number one day of hackings last year was Christmas Day. It's because nobody's watching, and everybody's got a lot of free time. So oh those
1: sons of bitches, really? Yeah, you know? yeah. Guys probably wearing a Santa hat.
0: Exactly. <laughs> He's smoking a cigar, <laughs> munching down on it. It's like I'm gonna hack the crap out of you now.
2: Mary? Well, nobody knows, and nobody has a clue what happened. Y- yeah, so. Okay, so let's talk
0: about the consequences because we this show is all about driving profitability, and one way to drive profit is not to lose your money in the first place. Um, who are the targets of
2: hackers? Easy targets. Like so Chris? It, it's just like walking down the street, and you see a bunch of houses with protected by ADT or protected by this security system. The guy's going to keep walking down the street until he sees one without a sign.
0: Okay. So they, they so they kind of ping all these different sites or they're they're trying to, they, they, they ring all the doorbells, if you will, for all these different businesses until one time they ring the doorbell and the door just falls open?
2: That's pretty much it. And most small businesses, a lot of the doors are open. If you look at our website, we actually have like a real-time uh, graphic that shows all the attacks going on against our customers that we've blocked in real time. And it's like the War Games, you know, map. And it just gives you an idea of what's going on out there. And most people just don't have a clue. It's something like an average of 4,000 attempts a day per small business. For
0: an individual small business? Yes. So that means my business today, we're only halfway through the day, has been hacked 2,000 plus times, theoretically?
2: Yeah, people people trying to get in there. And the thing is, is most of the standalone product that you buy off the shelf or have an IT guy plug in, once it's out there, it's exposed. And, you know... Things you hear about all these things in the news about the software being susceptible to this and something you know some protocol breached for that those unless you have somebody managing it and keeping it up to date and looking through it and looking through the logs every single day how do you even know if that's you?
1: Jeez, that's a hundred and sixty six hacking attempts every hour. Bro, yeah. jeez, that's a
0: lot, man. Who knew? Yeah, well, it was all automated. So right, it's scary. Yeah. So all right, Chris. Off, oh, Chris. Eric. Offline, we were talking about the, uh, the credit card hacking and the consequence. If you're not compliant, this PCI you referred to, if you're not compliant, what's this was interesting. What's the consequence if a credit card gets hacked from your business?
2: So the, the PCI compliance is a compliance that regulates credit cards, and it got a lot stricter this year. And with those rules came new penalties and everything else. And the average right now between your legal costs and, you know, the fines is something like $250 a record. Bazinga. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I mean, so a customer that That only does like 1,000 credit cards, that's a $250,000 in fines and liabilities. That's a lot for a small
0: business. Oh, my God, yeah. And, I mean, if you think about it, almost every small business, if you use Square, I mean, tell me if this is accurate, Eric. If I'm using Square to do transactions, which I do, I'm using a shopping cart to to get credit card information and, and run recurring bills i assume that's credit card information if that gets hacked it's my problem
2: yeah absolutely it is your problem and the, the laws are changing to where they're pushing it onto the merchants before the banks would run you know basically eat some of it and now they're saying if you're not compliant but i think it's like october or november and you don't implement these new systems they're like hey if you're not compliant with a new technology, then it's all on you. We're not taking any responsibility.
0: Wheezee. All right. So here's the last question I got for you. Now, try to do this without plugging yourself, Eric. This is going to be a tough one. <laughs> what um, can small business owners like me, like Chris, like John, who's going to come on in a few minutes, who's going to be awesome, what can we do to protect ourselves to reduce that risk of losing our profits?
2: I mean, it's all proactive. I mean, it, like I said, the people that are getting hacked, unless you really upset somebody and you're a target, they're just random people trying to go into the easiest target. So if you're proactive, of course, quote unquote, buy a service like ours. <laughs> um, you didn't plug yourself. No. I, 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 didn't, I didn't say I didn't say simple when uh,
0: uh, <laughs> you just did. I got gotcha. you. Uh, <laughs>
2: But uh, by, dude, just whatever you do, be proactive, and that that's the key, because if, as long as you're being proactive, you're doing 10 times more than the guy next door is, and and that'll work for right now, but things are going to get more difficult.
0: Okay, now I, and I will do the plug for you. Seriously, I am a proponent for simplewan.com. It's S-I-M-P-L-E-W-A-N.com. Why? Because the product works, and secondly, because Eric is one of us. He's an entrepreneur. He's the guy who found this place and is growing it. Eric, absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining us today. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. Thanks, Eric. Bam! Wow. <laughs> I love doing Thank it. You! you know why I like hitting that button? Because it throws you off. As the sound engineer, you're like Jesus. You're you're doing the mics too Guess who's coming up next, bro? Guess what business he's in? You didn't look at the show notes, did you? I know it's John Wood. Yeah, but do you know what John Wood does?
1: <laughs> I was just gonna try to say John Wood like it, with, with an Indian accent. Oh, yeah. do it, do it. Come here.
0: John Wood. Wood. <laughs>
1: Anyway. Yeah, Indians say the last name twice. So that was perfect. My wife's Indian, so just all you people relax out there.
0: John Wood, Wood, <laughs> Mike McAluitts, Clouds, Chris Curran, Curran, <laughs> Wood, Wood. Yeah, <laughs> no. your wife doesn't. I know she does have an accent, a little a bit, little bit, A little bit, barely. Yeah, it's, so, was it's, she born in India? She was. Oh, yeah. Okay, I guess I guess you would be if you're Indian. Now I guess you don't have to be. Now this is going no, down. No, a lot of Indians are born here now. Yeah. Yeah, I met some guy from uh, Sri Lanka last week. I'll tell you, dude, entrepreneurial is all hell. And uh, he's just bringing it. Just bringing it. I don't know. Okay, I'm going down some weird tangential path right now. There we go. Do we need to... uh Oh! Here we go. (laughs) Oh, refresh refresh Okay. So guess who our guest is? Well, he does. You don't know. Yeah, John Wood. Tell me. What is the stinkiest... uh, most manual labor thing you'd have to do if you had a pet that you don't want to do non-disposable
1: diapers
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah No. okay Okay. close so you're on the right subject if you had a pet what what do you have to do for your pet you got to pick up their stuff yeah exactly and it
1: sucks right i i never i i've never done that because i don't have a, a pet or a dog whatever um but yeah, I, I look at them. I, I always look at people doing that and I'm like, there must be a better way. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: here's a better way. I'm about to introduce to you a guy who's got the solution and oh man, and he went full cycle with his business. So if you're listening right now, make sure you got really close to the speakers and listen in. John Wood started a low risk, low reward, and I put the air quotes around that, Pooper Scooper business while he was a senior as a pre-med student then he realized how bad biology sucks and he said I'm not going to med school I'm starting a pooper scooper business two years scrapes by a couple more years starts growing this thing milking it for all it's worth and three days ago sells the business oh! with no further ado John Wood <laughs> Welcome to our show. How's Hi, guys? Hi, John. How are you? What's <laughs> yeah, well, up, bro? I'm doing well. <laughs> wow, was that?
3: I've I've had the best I've had the best four days of I, I can't even know how long. Well, it's, I got to hear it's what you been did. Awesome.
0: Who bought your company? Can you share?
3: Uh, I can. I can. They're actually uh, there are a couple of friends of mine who um, I've known them for years and uh the 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 wife and they're they're a couple they're married couple uh the wife she actually has cut my hair for the last five years and I was sitting there in her chair telling her about how you know I'm trying to sell my company and and everything that was going on and she was like well how about we talk about this and so uh a lot of uh, you know, negotiating and talking and and getting stuff in alignment, uh, later. Uh, I now am an ex, uh, small business owner. So that is very, very exciting.
0: Cool. And to sell it, that's considered a private, private equity deal when you sell it to friends. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to dig into that. Why don't we start though, from the beginning of your story, you're a pre-med student. You're going to school in Oklahoma.
3: Right. Yeah. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. I uh, I was going to school for pre-med biology and uh, I had read all about all these doctors going quarter of a million dollars in debt. And I realized that uh, I didn't want to uh, go massively in debt before I even started a career. And so I was like, well, I kind of want to, you know, do something. So I looked into real estate investing, uh, MLM, you know, network marketing type stuff and, and uh, started this uh, uber low overhead business, pooper scooper business, because uh, my parents in Nebraska had hired someone to do it when when I went away to college, and I figured, well, you know, if they're willing to hire someone in Nebraska, I wonder if anyone in Tulsa is willing to hire me. So I just kind of hung out my shingle to you know see what happens. Uh, I did a little bit of market research. I did look online and saw that uh, all of the existing competitors in the space, none of them really had a strong online presence, and so I knew that there was a niche that I could that I could you know dominate, which was Google. And uh, and so I got in there and just figured, you know what, worst case scenario, it, it crashes and burns, but it cost me all of about $15 to get started, you know, the cost of a bucket and a rake. And, uh, you know, I read somewhere it costs like $25,000 for the average small business to get started, stuff like that. I'm like, well, you know, I had a 25 year old car and a bucket and a rake and I started my pooper scooper business.
0: So they're so, like, John, it's going to cost you $25,000. you are like, nope, <laughs> nope. You're not going to cost $25,000.
3: $25. Yeah. So that's uh, amazing.
0: Cost- uh, I'm just curious, what's the most common search term when people's looking for uh, a business like yours to clean up after their pets?
3: Uh, just dog poop removal. Yeah. Dog just poop dog, removal. Dog yeah. Dog poop removal, dog waste pickup. And so that actually is what got me into uh, the next major stage of my business, because I started off as an independent with a really uh, you know, not catchy business name. And I did the best I could, but um, I, I just did not have any keywords in my uh, company name. And so uh, I kept my ear to the ground, though, and, and kept looking online. And around 2010, I saw this company that was making – just just starting to take over the internet Uh, and it was a franchise and they were looking to expand uh, looking to convert independent companies into their franchise system right and so i spoke with the ceo um and i became the first uh can i say the name poop Uh, 911 i know you cannot say the name By the way, way. (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding
0: kidding. you can't
3: I became the first Poop 911 that wasn't like a friend or family of the founder uh of the franchise system and so uh I converted into it and it's been it's been a wild ride ever since uh obviously joining Poop 911 which does have poop in its name and has a very strong Google yeah. presence and everything helped just take over so last time I checked when you google uh like Tulsa dog waste removal, or Tulsa dog poop, or any of those kind of things. Like my website and like you know five to ten directory links to me make up most about seventy five percent of the front page of Google. So I just like I said, the last few years I've really dominated that that niche uh, mostly by the the benefit of and a little throwback to your previous guest. Uh, the uh, The fact that the franchise system had this gold level like high encryption, all the bank level security stuff mm-hmm. uh, made it so that you know I didn't have to worry about those kind of things. Now it sounds like coming up in six months, if I were still the owner, I would have to start worrying about these things again. But up until this point, by using this um, this franchise system and their their software, uh, it's kept me from having to, you know, worry about hacks and stuff like that. So for the, all the credit cards that my company processes.
0: So, so it sounds like the first couple of years uh, you're trying to figure out how do you make money doing this? Were you the only guy exactly. out there, John? Was this, you were booking the business and going out and cleaning up the business, so to speak? Yeah. Sorry. I was a little late on that. Keep going.
3: I was doing everything. Not only was I doing marketing and sales and stuff, but, uh, I was actually, I had to have a couple of full-time jobs, uh, for the first couple of years. Cause I couldn't pay the bills. You know, when you're only charging 10 to $15 per visit and you got less than 10 customers, you know, that's no, not, a, that's really. not a little income. So that's it um, by the way, it
0: was 10 or $15 per visit. How, how many visits do you make a week or a month?
3: Well, now we do like hundreds and, and thousands, but, uh, no, but I mean for your average customer. Oh for my average customer uh, is my average customer is one visit once per week.
0: Okay, one um, visit once so. per week for $15. Yeah. yeah. It seems like yeah, a right no-brainer for the customer, it's so inexpensive.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's really, and that's, that's the nice thing is, uh, because of the price point, we can actually market to, uh, a lot. We don't have to get just the million dollar homes and the, you know, things like that. I got, I've got customers from all, uh, demographics and, and stuff. A lot of my customers are actually, uh, retired, uh, you know, living on fixed income, uh, they're elderly, so they can't necessarily pick it up, but they do want a dog. And so, um, you know, for 10, 15 bucks a week, you know, they, they, Find that it's much more um, worthwhile to have us do it than to to try to do it themselves, or um, and we're more reliable than you know the kid down the street. My neighbor's son comes over once every five months and picks it up. You know that right? That's that's our this competition right there is just the kid down the street. <laughs> so
0: yeah, no, totally. And th- This is true Kristen lots of businesses you think about babysitting for example there's been businesses that try to roll this up the babysitter's the local teenage girl or guy usually it's the girl and um these businesses try to roll it up and have done it unsuccessfully but this industry um junk removal is the same way junk removal is the local junkyard or whatever would send by some guy he would uh he would actually probably take your dog away along with the junk or something weird <laughs> and, and, and so you see these roll-ups happen um so poop nine one one the franchise comes in. Why did you do it? Were they a threat to you if you didn't do it? Was it also a little bit defensive, or was it simply the opportunity that you saw John
3: It was both It was both. I've always recognized the value of a system I mentioned I had been looking at like network marketing and stuff before that, so I recognized the value of a system. plus, I recognized I didn't want to do this the rest of my life like this is this was a learning opportunity, a learning experience for me, and I had an opportunity. To join a franchise system, which is much, much, much more sellable, um, you know, independent scooping companies come and go all the time because it's such low overhead, because it's such low barrier to entry. You know, if I don't have something that sets me apart from my competitors in the area, why would anyone want to buy me out? And so, um, from the very beginning, it was yes, a little bit defensive. I didn't want poop number one coming in if it wasn't me, and two, I. Uh, you know, uh, so one thing that I mentioned is that their system does all of the billing, routing, and scheduling for us. Which, if you talk to independent pooper scoopers, they will tell you they spend the vast majority of their time routing customers and mm-hmm. chasing people down for money. And the thing about Poop901 is their system, their software system that they provide for a relatively hefty, you know, franchise fee. Mm-hmm. Um, what they provide takes all of that routing and billing headache away. And so I mentioned before I joined the franchise, I had less than 20 customers and I was spending an hour to two hours a week, either routing or chasing people down for money. Uh, Once I joined the franchise and I scaled up very, very quickly, you know, I got up to 100 to 200 customers in the first couple of years. I was still spending that same one to two hours a week with 10 times the number of customers because their software made it so much more, uh, it, it just took off all those headaches. That, that the the chasing people down for money, since everything was done by credit card, um, it wasn't a problem to get money from people. And since their software integrated with Google Maps and just you know set up the route so that I didn't have to, it autom- automatically optimized it for every new customer that came in. It just, it took all of the backend headaches away. Most, actually most poop scooping companies uh, independent companies around the country are usually made up of a husband and wife team where the husband goes out and scoops them all day. Of course and the it's the husband,
0: of- right? Of course right. it's the and husband then, and, doing, and- the wife is sitting back. She's like, Oh, <laughs> collecting the money, counting it. The yeah. husband comes in.
3: <laughs> yeah. He's
0: like, what, what's that on your not arm? To, she's like, Oh,
3: not to get off on that tangent, not to get off on that tangent. But my, my point is simply that as a, as a franchisee, I was able to use their software, and I was, I've been able to run this basically as a one-man show, with the exception of the actual scooping. The actual scooping, once I got up over 120 customers, I couldn't do all the scooping myself. There's not enough hours in the day, um, and we are hindered by daylight, especially when we only have like six hours of daylight in the winter. So once I got up over 100 customers, I had to start hiring employees to physically scoop poop, especially once I expanded... Uh, to Oklahoma City, which is about an hour and a half away, mm-hmm. and so for a while, I was actually running two businesses, uh, one in Tulsa, one in Oklahoma City. I had uh, four scoopers working for me and uh, and then I was uh, still trying to pay off some of my student loan debt from that biology degree, and so I was waiting tables at night uh, so it's it 's been a long <laughs> oh yeah, which is
0: not atypical. Um, until yeah. you find your niche. Now, what was interesting is you're such a low price point. I wonder, did you not get those big expensive houses because you were too cheap for 15 bucks a pickup?
3: No, we get, we get plenty of the big expensive houses. As a matter of fact, within my territory, within um, Tulsa and Oklahoma City, uh, I am, you know, I hate to say B, I am the most expensive you know, just straight up. I am the most expensive. Yeah. Uh, th- and other, other people will come in and say, Oh, I can do it for a lot less than that. And I'm like, go for it. I don't necessarily want the customers who are looking for the cheapest deal. You know, I read toilet paper entrepreneur. I know Great you can talk. only compete on price quality or exactly <laughs> price, quality, or speed. And, uh, my, my price, I'm in the ballpark. I'm not outside the realm of reality. I'm in the ballpark. But what I do is I blow my customers away with quality. And I have to talk in past tense a little bit. Cause like I said, I sold the business three days ago, No, i know. We're gonna get to that in a second because
0: I want to start the party. I, always, I um
3: yeah, I always blew my customers away with quality. We did we did crazy stuff like send them handwritten letters as soon as they sign up. You know, make phone calls. I usually responded to, uh, and then I also competed on speed insofar as turnaround time of of uh, customer service. So if somebody sends me an email or signs up for service, that goes straight to my phone. I call them back within five minutes, and and for for me, you know, that quality and, and speed were. Um, it set me apart from a lot of my competitors, and so I never had to compete on price. Um, so that was that. That again, toilet paper entrepreneur, and, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so fa- I'm so happy to be on this podcast. Man, TPE and Pumpkin Plan were two books that completely changed. Uh, my perspective on, on my business and, and everything. And, and speaking of profit first, you know, I implemented profit first two years before profit first, the book came out because you introduced profit first in TPE. Dude, And so I took it, I took it from TPE and I ran with it from there. Oh and so my then God. you go on, you went on creative live and did yes. a, uh, a yep. Creative Live webinar, which was awesome. I loved it. And I got to be there in the chat room, being like, listen, folks, I've been Poop doing 9-1-2> this 9-1-2> for 9-1-2> two years.
0: Yeah. And they were calling you out. So, Chris, it's so funny. Do you ever hear of Creative Live, Chris? Yes. So, I'm at Creative Live. You
3: get thousands of people
0: watching. So, I don't know what the number was, but say five or 6,000 people watching. You're in the studio and they're like, hey, does anyone in the uh, electronic audience have questions? And they're like, oh, a question just came in from Poop911. I'm like, that's John Wood. Like, I know because we've been having a dialogue for all these years. And, you know, as an author, one thing I do is I drop in concepts and I see what resonates with people and they become a future book. So that was a concept back in the TPE days. John, I didn't realize you implemented that far back. Tell me about your experience of implementing taking your profit first for years. What, what were the results for you? What was your experience?
3: Right. So the, uh, the short answer is, uh, it's been, it's all been positive. I have to admit, I fell off the wagon a little bit during the second year of implementation, Uh uh, because I wanted to make some investments. And so I, uh, I've always taken, uh, my profit as part of my compensation, you know, for tax reasons and whatnot that helps out with things. But, um, but, uh, my second year, I took a bunch of that that PFA money that I'd set aside, and, uh, and I kind of drained that account, unfortunately, because it left me in a little bit less of an ideal situation when it was time to sell. Um, I didn't have as much of a cash buffer as I would have liked, but like I said, I was able to make some investments and do some stuff uh, because I had set this profit aside for a year and a half. I'd built up this essentially savings account, you know, this profit for right. a savings account. Right. Um, and, and I assume uh, it
0: forced different decisions or harder decisions when you were taking your profit first and you had to make decisions for your business. I assume your decisions were were not uh, were tweaked because the profit was taken out first. Is that true?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean the the short answer is, and, and every you know personal finance guru will tell you this for your for your personal life, you know, save, put something aside for yourself first, and, and that was the first time I'd ever heard it from a business perspective, and it's the same thing with all budgeting. You will spend whatever is available. always, yeah. you will spend it. If it's there, you'll spend it. And so if you set it aside, if you take it out, you will change your spending based on what's available and so that's that yeah i mean i made Made um and it made a huge difference and then like i said then once i had this war chest built up i was then able to use that war chest instead of say going into debt to make a decision i was able to use that and so that's you know when it comes to business and, and finance, you know, um, I've heard you mention in the past, you know, Dave Ramsey, and I think you mentioned him in profit first, the book, and mm-hmm. my wife and I have always kind of followed him a little bit. Entre Entre leadership is a, mm-hmm. a book that I'm a big fan of. Um, and you know, just trying to, to avoid that debt, uh, black hole, right? <laughs> oh, it's really, really good, easy to get to. It's really hard to get out of. So by, by building up my profit first account, I was able to make large spending decisions that didn't necessarily put me into debt uh, because I had a war chest built up
0: and it, and it so. got you to the point of four days ago you sell your business you're talking you're getting your hair yeah. cut maybe you're getting a little quaff <laughs> maybe're getting a little quaff and you're like hey maybe. I want to sell my business what t- tell us about the experience of selling your business what was that like what happened
3: Oh dude Mike it's been <laughs> it's been a roller coaster but everything everything is it's all about the for me like I said, I started this business knowing that I wasn't gonna be doing it for the rest of my life. Knowing that every everything that happened was a learning opportunity, and so um, I started off. I, I first uh, reached out to a business um, guru person. They gave me a valuation on my company. That was a an eye opening. If you've never, if you have a company that you've been running yourself and you've never had it evaluated by an independent third party. Uh, do it and, and be ready to be shocked by how low the number is It's a slap to the face, right? Oh oh God, it's a slap in the face. Yeah. Oh man. So, but that put me in a position where I'm like, okay, I need, these are the changes that they are recommending before I put this thing on the market. And so I started making, um, you know, profitable changes and scaling changes and doing things to make it more appealing to a potential buyer. So at the point that I actually did put it on the market, um, I within the first two months, I had a buyer who was ready to come to the closing table with me uh, and basically pay me my asking price with half down and, and half on a note mm-hmm. um, and that was uh, last July that that was <laughs> that that was supposed to happen. And unfortunately, uh, that potential buyer walked away uh, from the closing table. And I learned two things from that. One, never count your chickens, because I had just handed out like a very serious chunk of change and thank you bonuses to my employees. Right. That I then obviously couldn't get back. Right. And all that money came out of my I mentioned that war chest got depleted. Well, there, uh, there, that's where it and, went. Huh? And, that's one of the places. Yeah. Uh, and then the other uh thing that I learned from that experience was always get earnest money. If someone makes you an offer and they get some earnest money up front, because that was a very expensive month for me. I made a lot of decisions uh between when the due diligence ended and when the closing was supposed to be uh that then ended up coming back and biting me in the in the in the wallet because that that potential buyer walked away and i never got any earnest money and so i just didn't get anything it was just very expensive there's kind
0: of so a, there's kind of a saying when selling a business they say that it, it don't count your money until it's in your pocket but that's not even true right don't don't count your money until it's in your pocket and you haven't been sued for that it got a claw back from you a year later <laughs> like that's how bad selling a business is but tell us about you finally sell the business uh to these yeah. friends cash on the barrelhead by mm-hmm. the way or big big uh, check no,
3: unfortunately not uh, unfortunately it's, it's enough it's enough to, to meet my, my needs these are but, but so there, there's two different things that, that I was looking for out of this experience of being a business owner one to be able to provide you know financial uh, support for my family and two to be able to like I said originally pay for medical school well turns out uh, I didn't go to med school, but my wife went to PT school, and the amount that we got out of it is going to allow us to pay off all of her student loan debts. So I paid for graduate degree, just not my graduate degree. Yeah, you paid one. <laughs> John,
0: looking back, one last question for you. Any one thing you suggest to people listening in, if they want to be more profitable, what do you suggest they do? Any tips? One tip? Oh,
3: dude, take your profit first. Take your profit first. Absolutely. That's why.
0: That's why I sent you a check. Oh, stop,
1: go on.
0: Oh, stop, stop. please say more. John, hey, we got to rock and roll. I didn't realize how late it's getting here. Absolute pleasure to talk with you. Your story's amazing. I I think we got to touch base again in about six months, you know, post, uh, you're in the the Cloud 9 stage. I want to see how things wrap up. So why don't we touch base again in nine months? We'd like to have you back on the show.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, John. All right, man. It was a great talk with you. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much.
0: Take care. All right. Some mind-blowing things there, man. In a world where you start a business collecting poop and then sell it. I mean, it's kind of weird. We have Michael Knight, you know, (laughs) want, 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 want. And then we have a guy who collects feces for a living, right? But he did great. Good for him. Dude, full cycle. Listen, you can go to a room of 100 entrepreneurs and say, hey, who sold a business here? John would be the only guy raising his hand. Most people don't sell their business. And I love what he was sharing. Uh, I got some tips, but first I want to talk about our sponsors, and we got to rock and roll fast. Yes. Fundera. Fundera. You know what they do? One-stop shop, get funding. If you want to scale your business, John needed new equipment, new stuff. At a certain point in his business, he could have used Fundera. It's a shame he didn't. Yep. But- you know, They would have funded his business. They fund any business. Great resource, Fundera. Amazing. One-stop shop. Second one, Nextiva. Voice over IP phone system. I use them. You, you should be using them, but you don't have a phone. <laughs> I'll you, use yours. You do have one Potsland. <laughs> yeah, you can use mine. Um, it's an amazing phone system. Voice over IP. And then, of course, T-Sheets. And T-Sheets is time tracking for your employees, job costing, stuff like that. All these companies, man- we are 29 episodes in, and they keep coming back, and keep coming back, <laughs> and keep... They're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy yeah. God, what are what they... Are,
1: yeah, what are w- you thinking? What are you thinking? Bruh.
0: <laughs> 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 so, what, what's your takeaways?
1: Um, should we start with John and then go back? Or? Sure, so, so let right. just start with John. I, I don't know. Like For me, um, when, he said, talk, when he talked about how changes in your spending make a big deal, and, and that setting your profit aside first forces you to change your spending. I think spending is probably a place
0: where a lot of people can can get more profit from, right? Yeah. You know what's interesting is, he he said it, it's called... uh parkinson's theory when more money comes in we spend it faster based parkinson's theory is the more something's available the more we use of it and it's true with money so i thought that was fascinating uh he was in a volume game 15 bucks a gig 10 10 to 15 bucks a gig that's not easy money you have to do the volume so he made a volume decision i realize he had good quality but you got to be doing 100 visits to make some serious money that's what he did by going to the franchise. So I thought that was impressive. Um, never count your chickens, man. Oh. Jeez. Right? Ouch. And I've been there, the mental game. Someone's like, I want to buy your business. That second, you're like, oh, I can finally buy that car I've been <laughs> yeah. looking at. My wife and I can go for a wonderful vacation. If you start behaving that way, it will burn the shit out of you. Right. No, No pun intended. Yeah. Because then when then day to day business activities suffer, right? Yeah. And by the way, it's a buying tactic. And I know you have a question for me, but I'm gonna answer it right now because you don't. I yeah. forgot to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to give it to you. Here's oh, the here's the question I should have given to you. When there's a buyer's tactic, it's dirty. It's called the high ball, low ball. And what they do is if someone came into your studio here like, Chris, this is such a great setup and stuff, I'd love to buy this. This is worth you know, if we cut you a check for five hundred thousand would that be cool? And you're like, holy shit. 500000 That's a lot of money. Yes. Um, that sounds good. And they'll say, great. We have to go through the due diligence period. John referred to that. We'll have accountants and stuff look at it. And then they do what's called the stretch. They give you a high number. You start spending mentally. They stretch for five months, six months. Saying, oh, the things we're finding aren't so good. They come back after a year and say, you know, your business isn't nearly as strong as we thought it was. It we'll give you 50000 if you're lucky, or 25000 Well, they know over that year, you've mentally spent the money in your head, and the business starts to fracture. You're not focused on the business like you should be. They come swooping in. They repair the quote-unquote damage, fix it. You just do the deal because you want it off the plate now, and you get screwed. Nothing. High ball, low ball technique. Uh, what you learn from uh, Eric Knight? Yeah, well, being proactive.
1: I mean- I think that word proactive is is it? I mean, talking about all the the credit card compliance over the internet and everything, even internet security and all that. I think it's just being proactive and um you know, if I guess if if there's a company that has a website or uses certain online systems that's really not protected, it's kind of dangerous. Yeah. So being proactive is I think it's always good. Yeah.
0: Although you can maybe be a little too proactive at times. Maybe, maybe. I think, you know, don't do it all yourself. If you try to, you know, you want to do it all yourself because you're early stage business, but at a certain point, you start stepping in areas you shouldn't be stepping in. If you're trying to manage and protect credit cards on your own and you get hacked... Two hundred fifty bucks, a credit card fine plus. Like this could this could more than tank you. It could ruin your life, I, you know. So just be very aware of of the potential costs of just trying to do everything on your own, dude. We got to start rocking and rolling. We got to get our, our uh, prepared for our next little thing.
1: Yes, we do. So, thank you for listening. Uh, again, you can find our podcast on profitfirstpodcast.com or iTunes and Stitcher. And be sure to,
0: as I'm flipping all these papers, and stuff, yes. oh, be yeah. sure to tune in next week. We have Shama Hydra coming and. Special guest, Tom Knox. Wow. My buddy. My buddy. Tim Knox. (laughs) That's how much of a buddy he is. Tom (laughs) Knox. My buddy, Tom. My buddy, Tim Knox is coming. (laughs) That was awesome. That was pathetic. My buddy, Jim. Uh, My buddy, uh, (laughs) Scramble. Where's his name? (laughs) Frederic. Tony Knox. (laughs) Tim Knox. Oh, God. This has been awesome. Mike McCowitz. Profit Profit First Professionals. Thank you. If you're an accountant, if you're a bookkeeper, we want to talk with you because you can bring Profit First out to... The entrepreneurial base. If you're an entrepreneur and you want an or bookkeeper that'll drive profit, visit profitfirstprofessionals.com. And dude, tell us about Fractal Studio. Yeah, Fractal Recording. Uh uh producing podcasts for businesses to just supercharge your marketing mix. That's what we do, basically. Uh, you, you if you can help your hosts not miss up mess up people's names like Tom Knox <laughs> and make it Tim Knox, that'd be cool yeah, too. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Great job, Mike. Thank you. All right bro. <laughs> yes. I'm You're getting, getting better. Good at that. Oh yeah. boy.
1: Alright, see you guys.